0: This is Gary Rogowski in the Northwest Woodworking Studio Podcast. I'd like to welcome you to a bit of blather and rumination about things woodworking. I've been at this for some time now, and as I mentioned in my book, there's only two things that we woodworkers can agree on. There's two things only that we can agree on. Number one, Wood moves. Now, you can pay attention to it or not. It's up to you. Uh, I know some 18th century reproduction guys, and they you know, they get 24-inch wide boards and tending them into a, a post, and they say, yeah, well, it's going to crack just because that's the way it, it always did. It always cracked like that. So You don't have to pay attention to it if you don't want to. You cross-band things and glue things on and give yourself job security all you want. But wood moves. I think we can agree as woodworkers that wood moves the other thing that we can agree on and this is this is written in in stone somewhere probably high on a scottish castle somewhere in, in latin it's written the other woodworkers don't know what they're talking about that's number 2 so wood moves and the other woodworkers are full of it i'm going to do it my way you know, um, I started the Northwest Woodworking Studio 20-some years ago, and, and uh, people asked me about marketing and keeping students, and I, and I knew right from the start that our students would stay with us for eh, a couple of classes, a year or two, and then move on. They would move on because that's how woodworkers are. Woodworkers are, by nature, independent. They're independent thinkers. They love tools. That's a given. Everyone who's a woodworker loves getting their hands on tools and working with their hands. That's important. And they love wood. That's that's also a given. But they like to wear a lot of hats and they like to figure things out their way. They're almost obsessive about it. No, no, no. Yeah, I don't need to know your way. I'm going to do it my way. And that's And that's fine. So they like to wear a lot of hats and figure some stuff out on their own. They're problem solvers. Woodworkers are problem solvers. They like to be posed with the situation and try and figure out a way that makes sense to them and their skills. Um, And I think the last thing, and perhaps the most important thing that most woodworkers would agree with me on, is that They need to be alone so they can talk to themselves. It's perhaps the most important conversation of the day, talking to themselves, having this conversation with themselves. So they're independent, love tools, need to know where everything is in their world, and problem solvers, and they like to talk to themselves. And it's just a description of the kind of person you wouldn't sit next to on the bus. But there we are doing our work. Anyway, these are some of the things I talk about in my new book called Handmade, Creative Focus in the Age of Distraction. Get to your bookstore now. Buy a copy. I think it's a fun read. It was fun to write. People ask me, how long did it take you to to write that book? And I said, oh, 40 years. You know, in a year and a half of actual writing, but you know, the stories just kept piling up and repeating themselves and I repeat them to students again and again and I thought, oh, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe we should write about this stuff and let other people in on the secrets. Um, The secrets are are these. Here they are. Here they are, the secrets of woodworking in a nutshell. Make up your own way. Make your own way. And And if it works for you, that's the right way. Everyone's looking for, oh, I I need to know the answer. I need to know exactly how to do it. Don't tell me, don't give me options. Just tell me how to do it. What's the right way? There is no one right way. One gal sharpens one way, one guy sharpens another. I cut my mortise this way, you cut it that way. You get to the same result. Which one's wrong? Some people have curly hair, some people have straight hair. Which one's wrong? There is no perfect answer there's what works for you and then sometimes some days (laughs) it doesn't work for you at all (laughs) all your careful ministrations all the careful work you've done it don't work for you either (laughs) yeah we have those days and that's the other thing i think this this book of mine was about is learning to forgive yourself it's a tough one this is a tough one for me. I'm a old Catholic boy. Catholic boy. And uh, I suffered my bumps and bruises through that education. Good education on, on the one hand. Catholic boy school. But bruised at the same time. Bruised. And that sense of trying to be perfect. Trying to get it just right. Can really drive you into the ground. Particularly with woodworking. You get these metal workers that come and take class, and they're like, oh, well, I've got to get it to within a thousandth of an inch. No, it's not metal. It's wood. It's malleable. It moves. It changes. It does stuff to you. You cut it, and it moves. It's crazy. And yet here we are trying to work with a material so beautiful, so elemental, so enrapturing. It just takes us away. So here we are. Here in the shop. And it's a struggle some days. Some days it's a real struggle. I think uh, one of the keys to successful furniture making is figuring out your flow. Figuring out what works for you. For me, years ago, I'd get to the shop about 9, 9.30. Uh I was I was a late-night person then. And uh, get to the shop, you know, and I'd be, you know, answer the phone, and I'd, you know, look at the mail, and I'd, you know, sharpen something, and do a little work, and figure stuff out, and I'd go to lunch, and not a lot was getting done. But by two o'clock, by three o'clock, all my energies had marshaled themselves. They'd aligned themselves straight towards my goal, and all of a sudden, by that time of the day, I was doing more work than I'd done for the previous four hours and one hour I got more done. So I think there's a, a lot to be said for getting your flow together. For me it takes hours. It takes hours to pull it together. If you can only work a little bit at a time, like I like like I do these days, then I try and set little goals for myself. But if I can work for a big chunk of time I tend to get some some real work done. And I think that's important is trying to figure out the flow in your in your shop and how to be the most productive when you're there. It's a struggle. I understand it. You walk in out of the world, and there it is. Ah, I finally made it to my shop. I know where everything is, and, oh, wait a second. Where's my pencil? Oh, my ear, I can't find my earmuffs. Ah, the table saw broke. It's just, <laughs> it seems like one thing after another some days. And it is one thing after another some days. You got to just let it go. Just let it roll over you because it's a part of the deal, Um, and you just have to stop and fix those things that are broken, and search for those things that are lost, oh my goodness, if I could have back the time that I've spent looking for lost tools, I would have a second life, Uh, half a life, that would be nice, but you have to focus on your goal for the day, and let the other stuff roll off your back. I am convinced that, that uh, like Viktor Frankl writes about uh, in his book, uh, *Man's Search for Meaning*. He writes about he was in a concentration camp. He had a he had a rough time, and he made it through by believing in something. And he was talking about how pain would fill someone's life. And it, and it could be just, you know, a hangnail. And yet it fills up your entire world. It fills up your consciousness to get a sliver. A sliver. And it fills up your entire world. So does cancer. It fills up your entire world. And, and it's like, I don't know, sucking all the oxygen out of a room. It's, it just takes everything. That's what happens when problems arise. Um, For me. Probably not for you. For me. When problems arise for me in the shop, they are huge. Huge. I just screwed something up. Oh, my goodness. I am the loudest woodworker you've ever heard. Oh, ranting and raving, you stupid idiot, blah, blah, blah. And what I've learned, finally, (laughs) after decades... After decades, I have a friend who used to call her studio, flying hammer studio. I, I never threw hammers. I would hit them hard against the bench, but I never threw them. Anyway, shout out to Gail. Um, it took years, but I finally figured out that if I could just leave the room after I made a mistake, which was taking over my entire universe, if I could just leave the room, I had a chance. Leave the room, walk around the block. The problem would shrink to its normal size by the time I got back. By the time I got back to the, to the bench, I'd have figured out a solution. I had no way to get out of this thing, even if it meant reproducing a part. But I'd already done all the work. I knew exactly what to do. I was fast. I was efficient. It takes more time to argue with yourself about what to do than it does to do the actual fix of the problem takes more time yelling at yourself and getting down on yourself and all this crap that we drag along than it does to just fix it. Shut up and fix it. You made a mistake. Okay. Get back up there and take another swing. That's been a tough one, but I think it's an important one. So if you can learn to forgive yourself at the bench, I think it's really important. So that's an important uh, part of my... Books, messages, taking a chance on yourself, and then when things screw up, as they will, because failure is an important part of our process of learning. When things screw up, learn to forgive yourself. It's an important, very critical part of woodworking. Mistakes are, everyone makes mistakes. The days you don't make mistakes are rare. And they're to be treasured, no question about it, they're great. But then there are the rest of the days. I'm also convinced that we have days when we are super sharp and jump out of the way of the saw blade when it's about to nick us and do everything right. And then there are those other days when we're dumb as a post and we're in there woodworking nevertheless. Those are the days you need to have habits in place. Those are your stupid days, I call them. You need to have habits in place for your stupid days. And if you have those habits in place, then you won't get bit. Uh, In my book, I tell a story about the uh, first time I got bit, bit bad. Uh, I was milling up a, or cleaning up a piece of wall, a thin piece of wall, a half-inch thick piece of wall, and it was part of a box project I was doing, and I'd cut the joints, and I was just cleaning it up, and I wasn't using the push stick. And I pushed too hard on the front end of this board, and it dove into the cutter head and shot out and left my finger tickling the ivories. I jumped out of the way pretty quick, but I still got bit. It doesn't hurt. Anyone who's been bit will tell you it doesn't hurt. Not until the next day, not until you wash it out. Um, it doesn't hurt, it feels like you've just been punched. You shut down so fast, you go into shock so quick. Um, You don't feel any pain, remorse, guilt, recriminations. Boy, it's a tough one. I think that's the toughest part of nicking yourself is uh, how to deal with that. But if you can stop the bleeding and get to a hospital or bind yourself up, um, you need to immediately figure out what went wrong what went wrong? What did you do wrong? You did something wrong. It wasn't the machine's fault. It was your fault. It's always your fault. The first thing anyone says after an accident is, boy, that was stupid. Because it usually is. Because it was preventable. And you did something that you've gotten away with a dozen times or a hundred times before. And this time you didn't get away with it. That was stupid. That's what you'll say. So, You have to learn from these mistakes. Get right back on that pony the next day and figure out what you did wrong and never do it again. For me, I got push sticks all near my joiner. I got them of all sizes and lengths. I am never without them. And I use them whenever I'm there if my hands get close enough to the blade guard. Um, Because you just don't know. So you got to protect yourself on your stupid days. Protect yourself on your smart days, too got to get in that habit. This stuff is, as we know, it's dangerous stuff. Lots of flying steel and bits of wood. Jeez, how many things have you been cut on? I've been cut by steel, chisels, saws, uh, joiners, bandsaw blades, uh, glue. Run my finger along the edge of something in this sharp glue the way it dried. Glue I've been cut by glue. the edge of a board, piece of beach. oh my goodness. How many ways have I managed to damage myself? And I can't stop petting the wood. You'd think I'd have learned by now. You know, I do. Oh, look how pretty. Boom. And I pick up a splinter. But that's how it goes. That's how it goes. So anyway, I've been blathering on here. And I just wanted to welcome you to this series of podcasts. It's nighttime. You can hear the birds calming down or rallying up. I don't know. Um. Anyway, um, thanks for listening in. We'll be talking about topics various as uh, these podcasts go on. Um, there's a bunch of stuff to talk about. But I think the next one will be about uh, choosing material. How to choose material. How to size up material. How to look at wood. What are the defects you got to check for. That sort of stuff. The start of a project. Hope you join us. Thanks much.